Welcome back to another episode of Sweat and Bullets, a fantasy football podcast. I am your host, DFB Encounter. With me, as always, is Jacob Sanderson at... Shit, I don't even know what your thing... You need to get a better one. This is terrible. No, at good, RTDB? Is that what FF it is? FF underscore RTDB. FF underscore RTDB. Like, just use real words, man. No, we run, we're running the damn ball. Oh, God. You don't even like you know, running backs. No, that's that's like the irony is that you're I'm like a Colts the fan. zero RB guy, and your name is literally run the damn ball. Yeah, people. That's what I like about it is is that the small minded people can't understand the irony. I'm fairly certain you're a closet penny truther and will be exposed at some point. I like I am a penny truther in the sense that I think Penny is really good. I'm <laughs> I'm not a penny truther in the sense that I think he's like a great fantasy pick. Um, like I'm a Chubb. Like this is the like I don't really draft Nick Chubb, but like if if anyone was to put me on true theorem and they were like who's your favorite player to watch in the nfl well i'd say aj brown but then if they were like who's your second favorite player to watch in the <laughs> nfl i'd be like nicholas chubb like i i love dick chubb i've always loved nick chubb like i i love good running backs it's my favorite position you know but, you know who i really like is uh and don't tell the masses this uh can you edit this out please matt i really like watching jonathan taylor and it's embarrassing <laughs> <laughs> I do like watching Jonathan Taylor, but the Colts are so depressing that I actually just don't want to watch any of them right now. Yeah, they like, are terrible. On my last podcast, people said I would be forced to watch them because they play in primetime this week, but there's so many other things I can do on a Thursday night. <laughs> just searching out things to do to not have to watch the Colts oh. play terrible football. Oh, horrible. Uh, anyway, so like we're I think that's what you call in. a cold open. This was a cold open. Yeah, yeah. So we're four weeks in, right? four weeks in a month this, this is an say. important part of the season if it's i'm crucial. not mistaken it's an inflection point it's an inflection point i don't the, the masses the listeners may not know this at four weeks we actually know as much about what's going to happen the rest of the season as what adp told us in the preseason this is the point where we are now on equal footing with what's actually happened with what we thought was going to happen it doesn't necessarily mean you throw out your priors entirely and it also doesn't mean that you ignore your priors entirely <laughs> or, or you cling to your priors entirely because you're going to be wrong. Like half these players are going to continue playing well and half are going to do really bad if they're producing nowhere near what they were, what the expectation was. So like, yeah, I don't know. Tell me, tell me more about this. This is your topic. You wanted to talk about this. I wanted yeah. to talk about Gabriel Davis. You wanted to talk about this. Well, I, I don't want to make fun. I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to sit here and make fun of the hobbled. <laughs> like, let's at least let the guy get healthy, you know? Yeah. Right. Gabriel know, Davis, he couldn't even, you're going to try and victory lap a man that couldn't even run a victory lap right now. He's in so much pain. <laughs> he might not even be able to walk a victory lap. You know, it's he interesting. Just, he just uh, lie on your lap. It was, it was pointed out to me on, on the Twitter that I was victory lapping an injury. and You uh, were. That's what what I think doing. is interesting about that is I've actually never taken a victory lap on it. I've just been laughing every time somebody else like states his target share or his points per game or anything. I just like throw up like a giggle. I'm like, yeah, I know. I know. I like, I haven't gone out and been like, ha ha. Although that, that's not necessarily true either. Actually, you know, let me, let me take that back. Maybe I have been victory lapping, but it wasn't intended to be a victory lap. It was simply reporting the news. I had a tweet cool. after week one in which everyone was on me, like the, the masses, like the, the haters, the bean counter haters on Twitter were just coming at me. They're like, 
Gabriel Davis, 80 yards and a touchdown. Look at this elite ceiling, 18 points. There's like five to 10 wide receivers right now, averaging more than 18 points. But look at this elite ceiling from Gabriel Davis. And, and, uh, and then the AJ Dillon thing, he caught a bunch of passes. He scored like, I don't know, 15 points or something. This is why we drafted him 15 points a game. And since then I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to tweet whatever they've done in the past week on the tweet. Cause I put up, it was a poll. It was like, which of your favorite players have I been the most wrong on AJ Dillon or Gabriel Davis? And everyone told me I was really wrong on everyone. It was also an option that said, you've been wrong on no one after week one. And very few, people, very, very few people chose that option. Everyone <laughs> wanted to let me know that I was wrong about one of their favorite players or both. That was another option. I could be wrong yeah. about both. And ever since then, I just tweet it. It's, it's just news. It's not me victory laughing. It's simply reporting the news. This is what happened this week. Gabriel Davis scored three points. AJ Dillon scored seven. Uh, congratulations. You took these players far earlier than you ever should have. Anyway, now we're at the week four point. Yeah. Tell me more about this. Well, this goes up to Adam Harstad. Um, honestly, like on the Matt Rushmore of Dynasty Fantasy Football Analysts, if anyone doesn't follow him, it's at Adam Harstad. It's a green elephant. This is profile photo. Well, hold on. Hold on a second. Notice that he used like full words. He even used his name instead of like random letters and a strange acronym that like eight people know that are only Colts fans. That's, you know what? Here's the fun. Well, no, we're not going to get sidetracked again. You continue <laughs> to try and pull me off track. And I won't stand for it. Matt, producer Matt said, you guys need to have shorter episodes. Just take note. Who's keeping us on the rails? Who's taking us off the rails? Who's, who's putting bait into the water, hoping I, I snap up the line? Adam Harstad, he of the named Twitter account, tweeted out, Fantasy points through four weeks predicts fantasy points over the rest of the season, exactly as well as preseason ADP does. Those pre-draft rankings are exactly as predictive as the year-to-date rankings. Going to write this up later this week, as I do before every week five. Uh, and yeah, he's been writing about this for a while. This was something I learned about the first time last year. And he sort of does this uh, quarter poll type article every year talking about this trend. And yeah, basically the way that I would try to internalize this is if you're looking at your priors and you're looking at your takes, right? And you're looking at the ones that you got wrong in some direction. The way I would try, or at least have been trending in the way that you didn't want it to, to start the season. The way I would look at it is like, if you're looking at every player that you were high on that isn't performing well, and you're like, oh, buy low, buy low, buy low, buy low. And every player who you didn't like who is performing well and saying, sell high, sell high, sell high. Either you're very wrong or equally um, equally as many players that you were high on that are performing are going to drop in value or equally as many players who you were burying that are doing bad are going to rise in value. So one of those things has to be happening, right? And so in general, you should try and sort through and be a little bit, I think, self-critical where you're looking at some of those players and say, okay, roughly half or so of these players that are not performing well, actually they're a sell low, not a buy low. You know, these players that you might want to be a sell high, some of them are just going to keep doing it. And I think, you know, we could probably play this game from last year where if we went through, oh, like, who are these players got off to a hot start that we didn't expect? Debo Samuel, obviously, the week one through four was a lot more predictive than what we saw preseason. Mike Williams, week one through four, 
not as predictive of his week five through 17 as what we thought about Mike Williams preseason. Um, you know, you could go all the way down the line uh, in terms of this. And so really going to be an interesting spot. I want to play a quick little game with this. Okay. Are you ready for a little game? Hit me. All right. I'm going to name off players who are drastically outperforming or drastically underperforming uh, their draft slot. And I want to let, I want you to let me know whether you think it's more likely that they're going to be on the week one through four side or the preseason side. Okay. It's going to be a rapid fire game, Matt. That's how we're going to keep this show nice and tight. The first one, of course, is the famous first overall pick of the 2020 draft class, finally delivering on his promise. Clyde Rizalera is averaging 18.9 points per game in fantasy football. He is the RB4 overall in fantasy football. Is Clyde Rizalera more likely to finish closer to his RB4 current price or his RB25 ADV? And again, well, this isn't end of year finish. So this does not include what he's done so far. I'm simply saying <clears throat> week five through 17, closer to RB25, closer to RB4. I think that Claude Edwards-Hilaire was an excellent pick in redraft this year. I would just like to say that, prefacing my stance at this juncture. Uh, the reason that we wanted to pick Claude Edwards-Hilaire was the, he had the opportunity to win the role. Now we're four weeks in, he has not won the role. We are getting absolutely... <laughs> lucky on touchdowns like Patrick Mahomes is doing these things where like people are literally laughing out loud watching because it's so like the play where he like ran and like dodged the dude and then like ran a little bit more up the sideline then like spin moved around the guy then like dropped one over everyone else into Clyde Hilaire's open arms was completely ridiculous and that's just not even for Patrick Mahomes that's not repeatable and I think I saw a tweet the other day about Clyde Rizzler having something like four goal line reception, receiving touchdown. Maybe it was two. I can't remember. He had a lot. And <laughs> the like, season high for the last several years has been two goal line receiving touchdowns for a receiving back. Clyde Rizzler has hit that or more. I, I can't remember the specifics. The point is he is getting... And he's not even really a receiving back. Like he, he's ran more routes than Jarek McKinnon in one of the four games. <laughs> He's not even the receiving. He's the receiving goal line back. It's a it's a very specialized role. Well, he's not getting all the goal line touches either. It's just the one no, no, just, just the receiving ones. Yeah. Well, like last, that's the crazy part is in in last night's game, right? Like it was just so funny because everybody was saying, "Oh, we got to sell high on Clyde. We got to sell high on Clyde." I'm like, sure enough, in the first half of that game, he scores two touchdowns on two touches. Isaiah Pacheco also had a green zone touch. Did not succeed. Jarek McKinnon also has a green zone target and a green zone carry. Did not succeed on either ones. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire's rushing touchdown was a handoff from Jarek McKinnon. So, just <laughs> truly incredible stuff. Yeah, so, like, he's he's just not going to keep this up. Like, if you're expecting anything near what he's doing right now, it's, it's absolutely not happening. I think, like, barring an injury, I don't think there's any way he even comes close to this. It's... I think if there is an injury, there's a chance that he yeah. has a top 12 finish like rest of season. But outside of an injury, he's he's going to be in the, in the late teens unless he just keeps riding this touchdown wave like he has been, which has been completely wonderful because I have him in Scott Fishbowl. People made fun of me. Can you believe this? People made fun of me for my Scott Fishbowl draft because I only took three running backs. And I was like, well, if you only need to take three running backs, just take the good ones and then you don't have to worry about it. So that's what I did. 
Yeah. Do you know who my Seth. running backs are? I do know who your running backs are. Yeah. You want to know who they are? Good. Like when I picked them? Yeah, Barkley, Sanders, and Clyde. Yeah. That's right. That's absolutely right. Yeah. It feels like a pretty good. I don't want to talk about. I don't want to talk about Scott Fishbowl because. I had Clyde the Scott Fishbowl last year. That was not a fun experience. Um, and then every every year, man, every year I keep thinking, um, you know, I, I go into the Scott Fishbowl. I'm like, I'm going to try zero RB in the Scott Fishbowl. And then I, I don't. I end up drafting a running back. And then by week four, I just am doing zero RB because, of course, I had Javante Williams. So I no longer have running back in the Scott Fishbowl. Just in time to play you this week. So I can't wait to get slaughtered starting Khalil Herbert and Tyler Algier this week. On my Let's broken, go. decrepit roster, it's going to be tough to beat because I have Saquon Barkley, Clyde Rizzolera, and Miles Sanders, and uh, it's a pretty good trio considering I took two of them at the eight-nine turn. Yeah, that's that's a pretty that's a pretty <laughs> solid value, I think, on uh, on those individuals. Um, all right, here's here's what I said about Clyde. Right, he's literally doing the James Conner twenty twenty one season. That's like, what I said. I said that in this page. Did, did you see? Oh. Well, you're later than me because I tweeted it during last night's game. I said, step one, score a touchdown every time your team even sniffs the red zone. Step two, get out-snapped by the receiving back, causing Twitter to tilt your unsustainable production. Step three, other running back gets hurt. Step four, keep scoring at elite levels on an actually sustainable role. Step five, get a big contract and people act like everything was foreseeable the entire way. That's that's what he's doing. He, he's just not at step three yet. So, Jerkin Kidden, your days are numbered, dude. This is this is what we do. Last year, James Conner was my guy. I'm out here pounding the ta- pounding the pavement, telling you you got to go get some James Conner because there's a chance he wins the role, and if he doesn't win the role, he's still going to have a role. And then when the other guy gets hurt, he has the contingent upside that everyone took, you know, AJ Dillon in like round four to get, but James Conner was way later, and Miles Sanders and Clyde Rizzolera were way later, and here we are. Just all right. I was not I'm pretty sure I said this like on Sunday. It was great. I was like, hey, look at this is this is the Leonard Fournette and James Conner thing. Last year, my well, they're both, those are very different. Leonard like, Fournette, is, and James these Conner. are different. Like Leonard Fournette actually just was the bell cow, right? Yeah, which is what Cl- Clyde's not. Is. Clyde's not doing the Fournette thing. Well, we'll talk no. about whether Miles Sanders is doing. It. Clyde's doing the Connor thing, where he's like yeah. luck boxing for half the season, and then and then he might get the other half, where he like luck boxes and then he gets the injury, and then he just keeps scoring the same amount of yeah. points. That's, that's Miles Sanders is doing the Leonard Fournette though. That's the beauty of it. That's possible. That's possible. It's you might happening. get one of each. You might get one of each. You might get the lockbox. All right. Well, let's. We're going to talk about Sanders in a second. We've also already right. talked way too long about Clyde. This is no longer a rapid fire game. I was going to do five of these. Fire? You went too long. I was. I was concise. No, you were not concise. <laughs> you were not concise. All right. Here's here's the next one. Okay. All right. Are you ready for yeah. this? Yeah. All right. Nicholas Chubb is currently. The RB1 overall, all right? He was drafted as the RB14. Rest of season will be closer to RB1 or RB14. He's going to be the RB14. He has five or six touchdowns in four games. He's good. That simply doesn't happen. He scored. Yeah, he's the best pure rusher in the league. I looked up his uh, touchdown scoring year over year because people love these touchdown things. And it's like, oh, he's an elite touchdown scorer. I'm like, no, he's had eight, eight, 12, eight in his career like he just scores eight eight touchdowns a year that being said he misses a few games you know it's on 12 14 games still pretty good it's like 0.75 touchdowns per game but uh like he ain't scoring 20 touchdowns this year i'm sorry sorry to all the nick chubb lovers and he's probably if he's not scoring 
20 touchdowns, then he's also probably not running in 50 yard touchdowns every week. Like he has been. So we're going to see some reduction in the rushing efficiency and we're going to see reduction in touchdown rate. And we're going to get right back to the Nick Chubb of old. He's been a 15 to 16 point score basically since he was a rookie and it's never changed and it probably never will. And Nick Chubb is wildly talented and is everything that we should want in a running back except for the whole point scoring thing. And I, I've seen some like absolutely absurd Nick Chubb takes on the Twitter in the Twitterverse. And it's been a little bit alarming that people just every, last year, I went on this huge rant about chasing last week's touchdowns. And that's all that we're doing again this year. We are chasing last week's touchdowns. We are fading guys who don't score touchdowns and it's driving me nuts, but it's also wonderful because that's our edge. We're yeah. Aware I'm, I'm certainly with you on, on Nick Chubb. We've seen this story before. Like we have a big sample on Chubb and I like, look, if the way he was scoring points, like this kind of happened with Henry last year and then eventually got hurt. But I remember last year, early season, Henry, it was like, Oh, not only is he scoring a bunch of points, but he's actually kind of doing it differently. Like he's getting more snaps. He's getting more catches. I was like, I didn't foresee this, but it's happening. Chubbs do, has the same role that Chubb always has had. Like Hunt is still playing a role. He's still running more routes. It's not like Nick Chubb is now an 80% bell cow that's getting all the passing down work. He's, he's basically just like, he's having the same Nick Chubb ceiling game that we've seen him have like six or seven of every single year, but he just strung them together in a row. Probably because he played the Panthers, Jets, Steelers, and Falcons the first four weeks, right? Like that's like normally you play the worst teams in the league scattered amidst your schedule, not like all in a row. So um, I think Chubb's going to have a great season. He's going to be really startable like he always is, you know, and he's probably going to be high end R- or high end RB2 or a low end RB1 um, for, for the remainder of the season. And because exactly he started so hot, because he started so hot, he'll probably finish like a mid RB1 on the season. But yeah. that's because he's already done it, but I don't think that means he's going to do that uh, going forward. All right, here's one that's going forward. You don't know. That's the person who traded, trades him to you, gets to count those points still. You, yeah. you, you only get his future points. Okay, this one is interesting because it's a player that, um, fair, fair to say you've been lower than the market on, but maybe not any longer. That's strange because I'm not usually lower than the market on players. That's true. You're very positive. This player... <laughs> has an entirely respectable, but not league-winning, 16.1 fantasy points per game. This player was drafted as the wide receiver 6, is currently the wide receiver 18. His name is Sidarian Lamb. Is Sidarian Lamb going to finish closer to wide receiver 6 the rest of the way, or wide receiver 18? I would just like to un... uh rapid fire for a moment because you made the show sheet with four players you've now asked me about none of those players <laughs> and that's because yeah, I, I, I made up a game you're just you're just shooting me from left field i had prepared answers for these players and now i well that's a different to... segment that's a different segment i didn't name the players for the segment because i wanted to get you fresh there's literally four players anyway you can't see the show sheet maybe i'll get matt to post the show sheet so you can see jacob lying through his teeth lying through the mouth of satan right now anyways here's the thing sidereian lamb is absolutely a high-end wide receiver one it's the weirdest like just the weirdest thing we've been lower than consensus because he's never had a lot of targets and then suddenly he gets a lot of targets 
and his price falls through the floor. Like, what are people thinking? They're like, he's going to be the wide receiver one. He's going to get this huge target share. He's going to get all the targets. Amari Cooper's gone. There's vacation targets just sitting here for him to pick up. And he gets the targets. and like, well, I don't know. He's scoring like he's always scored. This isn't really what we signed up for. And then I'm out here in like week two being like, we need to go get CD Live. CD Live's available. He's doing the thing that they wanted him to do. And they lowered the price. Like, now it makes perfect sense. I've been losing my mind this season. I'd, I'd have paid wide receiver two or three or probably wide receiver three yeah. prices in dynasty today probably, i would be fine he probably with that. is the wide receiver three right now he should be he probably is i was like he probably is it i was like he's it's like it seems like he's just as good as all these other guys and he has the best situation which is why everybody else was drafting him so and he's the dude he's he's it and, all right and, like, on, on that topic cooper rush playing like a completely competent quarterback is alarmingly awesome like great great job is it is never there a lost team the start. in the nfl never lost that does a better start, job Rush. hey he's never lost the start he's 4-0 now dude's unbeatable qb wins baby let's go <laughs> like seriously is there a team in the entire history of the football world that just continually cranks out these like day three shitty quarterbacks to be good like they went from tony romo to dak prescott now they have cooper rush none of these guys were drafted highly they're all Pretty good. Well, we don't know for sure with Cup or with Cup. Totally wrong, Cooper. With Rush, if he's good or not, we like he looks good. He's playing well. He might be good. He's at and least like, confident. Well, well done, Jerry. Like Jerry doesn't get a lot of props. Jerry's crushing it with the late round QBs. <laughs> yeah, like it's true, just yeah. impressive. He's he's like the JJ Zacharyson of the NFL. Yeah, he's the late round quarterback. Jerry late Jones. Round quarterback. He's like, hey, guys, I read this book. It says we should never draft a quarterback early. Let's just keep taking them late, and we'll just get the good ones. I love, I love it. it. Okay, now I'm going to ask you about the players that are on the show sheet. And the reason I didn't bring those up is because, like, in the other game, it was like, is it going to be closer to? This is, like, obvious because these players are, like, so far under that it's, it's almost impossible for them to actually finish um, where they are currently situated. But I want to talk about them more generally in terms of are they going to be rising up back to where we thought? Or they just totally put in the graveyard. So you don't get to talk about Gabe Davis because you already wasted it by not being able to hold your load for 22 minutes. Um, but, okay, we're now going to talk about some players so disappointing that we can't even apply this game because it's almost impossible for them to finish as low as their current ranks are. And I've included one player that I think is like a major source of panic for a lot of people they drafted very highly one that's sort of a pet player that we both love very much and then one where we each get a chance to uh victory lap the other one a little bit here so the first one is our our shared i won't say love i'll say our shared like because we've argued on both sides of this player a couple of times (laughs) but um it's elijah less it's elijah less (laughs) the new york jets are throwing more passes than any team in the nfl and he does not have 10 ppr points in a game um, I'm surprised and angry at myself that I didn't do this. I wish I had pulled a list of every NFL wide receiver that has 10 PPR points in a single game this season. I imagine it's like 200 players. Elijah Moore's <laughs> not on that list. Um, I would like you to say whether or not Elijah Moore is like fully dead or if there's going to be a return from the grave. So like the interesting thing about Elijah Moore and our, uh, what would be the word? 
uh, our paths to get to Elijah Moore like being in like with Elijah Moore. Basically, in the offseason, this offseason, there was repeated debate between Rashad Bateman versus Elijah Moore. And I was obviously on the Bateman side and you were on the Elijah side. And then there was further debate between Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson. And I was on the Elijah side and you were on the Wilson side. And the interesting thing about all this is that... Is that I was right, you, clearly, because Garrett I, Wilson like is so much better than either of these scrubs, Bateman and Moore. I don't know that we can really go there yet because it's like we can go there. It's too soon. It's too soon. Well, I, okay. I mean, well. I love Garrett Wilson too. I'm not. I'm not even against it. I just thought it was a little premature to be anointing him better than Elijah Less. Prior. Now to it's not premature. Before. I don't think it's premature right now. Well, no, it's, it's not pretty... premature anymore. I, I would rather have uh, <laughs> Garrett Wilson handily. Yeah. But what, what I want to go back to because there there is this there's this rumor that I I, I think that you need to debunk. Because way back, way back when, I remember you were one of the pioneers of the Elijah Moore is bad club. Like, this oh, was yeah. your take. This was your take. Yeah. I remember it distinctly. You were on Twitter saying Elijah Moore, not good, years <laughs> ago. Is this true? Yeah, actually, I, I met him in like 2006. And, and, I was like, and, and he stole my Bob the Builder. Uh, and I was like, how dare this guy? No, um, that cannot be further from the truth. Uh, people have been spreading rumors about me. They are slanderous. Would you say that it's mostly false? I would say that it was grossly false. Grossly false. And slanderous. Uh, slanderous, grossly false, awful. People well, are yes, saying things. People are saying things, and yet they are grossly slanderous. No, I've always liked Elijah Moore. Um, and I basically had him in a tier of wide receivers that I liked similarly and pre-draft. And then I basically just put him at the end of the tier in my pre-draft rankings and said, well, I think I like these guys similarly, and he's the smallest. So I'm just going to put him here for now, and then we'll see what happens with draft capital. And then that looked really dumb when like the draft happened, and he got good draft capital, and other guys that I liked didn't. And then now it looks pretty good because Amon Ross St. Brown is like way fucking better than Elijah Moore. And we won't talk about Deami Brown. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> no, you you did not have Diami Brown ahead of Elijah Moore. Uh, pre-draft, obviously not post-draft. No. I didn't have Elijah. I didn't have uh, Amon Ross ahead of Elijah Moore post-draft either. That would have been uh, obviously completely insane. But no, uh, no I, the point is I, I like Elijah Moore. I just liked other profiles a little bit more. Than Elijah Moore. Um, Elijah fun. Moore, is he going to recover? Or yeah, is he Elijah less for life? Of course he's going to recover. How much he, is he going to recover? Because I understand he's going to score 10 fantasy points at some point in time. He's but definitely going to score more. Is he going to average that? Is he going to average 12? Is he gonna? Is he ever going to be a player that we care about? Is he just Brandon Ayuk? Is he Chase Claypool? Like, what are we I'm, doing here? I'm just thinking about it now. And is Elijah Moore behind Gabriel Davis in points per game? Because that's really embarrassing for me. Um, I'm actually not sure. It's uh, close, I bet. Let, let, it's, let me take a look. We're off again. Um, I'm, I'm just going to talk about Elijah No, Moore. I'm going to take a look, although unfortunately there's a lot of scrolling that needs to be done to, <laughs> to get to either of those players. So anyway, uh, Elijah Yeah, Moore. yeah. Gabriel Davis, 9.3. Elijah Moore, 8.4. You really do Oof. hate to see it. Ouch. And nobody, nobody's trolling me for that. Hard to believe. Hard to believe, but true. Anyways, Elijah Moore, yeah, he's going to bounce back because he is playing all of the routes. 
He yeah. like actually on uh, Sunday, I think he got all of his receiving yards on like a single drive, which was hilarious. Yeah, uh, I I liked that drive. I didn't like the rest of the yeah. game very much. Yeah, that drive was pretty special. <laughs> <laughs> great job zach wilson on that one drive if you could repeat that it was a good drive i think you guys even scored at the end of it so like yeah they did probably keep that up it was a good idea anyway elijah moore is playing a lot he is very good we know this because we've got more than a four game sample on elijah moore i understand that this is the pivotal moment in the season where we have to get in or out and elijah moore i'm all in on because we have his entire college profile we have his entire rookie season and now we have four games that's kind of running in the face of that but he's still playing. It's not like he's like sitting on the bench, like in the doghouse, like Brad Ayuk was last year. Right. He's not getting Tony. It's it's just a matter of time, I think. Uh, now, your question was, where is he going to finish rest of season? He's certainly not going to be a wide receiver one. He might be a wide receiver two. He's probably going to be right in that fringy zone, like thirteen ish points per game, I would guess. Count, kind of I think uh, too. Rest of season, nothing overly exciting. If I were playing in a redraft league, I would not be going out of my way to go and acquire Elijah Moore. If I were playing in a dynasty league and Zach Wilson was looking impressive, I might go and get Elijah Moore because if Zach Wilson is good, he could very easily like very easily be good enough to support both Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson. And Garrett Wilson's probably better at this point. So you win that round. But uh Rashad Bateman might be better than Elijah Moore. We still don't know. Time will All right. Well, you know what? Let's just talk about that guy because he wasn't on the show sheet, but Rashad Bateman. Um, he was not running a lot of routes the first two weeks. He was outrageously efficient, so it didn't matter. He has still not been running a lot of routes the last two weeks. He has not been outrageously efficient any longer. Um, what, what the fuck is happening? He ran 53% of the routes this week. Uh, well, he got hurt. He was, he's got a boot on or something. But he came back in the game. And when John Harbaugh was asked, why he didn't play that much. He didn't say he was hurt. He said, um, we'll have to take a look at that. Oh, I presume that was because he didn't know if he was hurt or not. I agree, but I'm trolling you. All right. Well, anyways, yeah, but e- like even still, his snap share the first three weeks was embarrassing. His rope participation is 75.2%, which is hard, highly not good. That's before week four. So yeah. like not loving it, but uh, he's still young. He's 22 years old. We still got time. And I think similarly, like the wide receiver two, three for end zone. Yeah, he's going to be in that I don't care about range in redraft. So yeah. I'm not going to get him in redraft. But I, I'm still interested in Dynasty because I think there is still a uh, a path for him to be excellent. He still has a 20.4% target share. Like it's not like he's doing nothing. He's just okay. not as good as I thought he was going to be thus far. All right. I, I agree with you here. Um, Let's do uh, Alvin Kamara. Let's leave wide receivers for a second. Alvin Kamara uh, has had a truly atrocious start to the season. He's been injured when he's played. He hasn't done anything. Is this like a five alarm fire on Alvin Kamara? Like, are we are we just dumping him for whatever we can get in Dynasty, or or is this the bottom? Is this where we're we're gonna buy him? We're gonna ride the points into the sunset? This this does feel like kind of an inflection point from Kamara for whenever he comes back from this latest injury. Yeah, I'm okay going and getting Alvin Kamara at this point. Depending depending on the price, I haven't really seen any trades in any of my leagues for him. I okay, well, let's say, let's, let's, let's say you could move. Let's say you're asked to move Elijah Moore for Alvin Kamara in Dynasty. Would yeah, you do if, I, if I'm competing, I'd absolutely – even if I'm – well, yeah, if I'm competing, I'm absolutely doing it. If I'm rebuilding, I'm probably not doing it because Alvin Kamara is never well, really going to be a 
high value guy anymore. He's 27 years old. Uh, but yeah, if I can move Elijah Moore, who is probably a you know fringy wide receiver two three, perhaps perhaps going forward, we don't know how long that will last. But I think it's probably going to be how he's going to finish the season. Alvin Kamara still has a fifteen point five percent target share. He's been in and out of the games. He's injured. Like I'm not that concerned about him at this juncture. He's got a seventy seven point eight opportunity share, fifteen point five percent target share. That's number eight, number five in the NFL. He's getting a very large workload. And he gets the very exciting touches. And I'd be buying Alvin Kamara on every single competitive team that I have. Because once it, like, I'm assuming he's going to be healthy at some point the rest of the season. And I'm just going to ride him into the sunset at this point in Dynasty. Because I don't, like, I wish I had it up. Uh, Alvin Kamara is possibly the most impressive fantasy performer for his career that we've ever seen. Like, the guy has been... What is it here? Oh, it's right here. He has been wide receiver four, or sorry, running back four, running back four, running back eight, right? Running back one, running back four. In his, that's his entire career. That's no, no weeks off, no no seasons off. He's literally been top five every year except for one where he was top eight, and he that year he still had seventeen point eight fantasy points per game. The guy is basically automatic. He gets a ton of. Uh, ton of high value touches now he gets a ton of touches early in his career he was a lot more efficiency driven now he's he's pretty volume driven and i like if he comes back and plays is healthy and plays he's probably still going to score you 18 to 23 fantasy points per game like he always has yeah i'm inclined to be with you i'm i'm buying more old running backs these days than i've ever been like i i went this is like crazy to say but after the first couple weeks i wanted a derrick henry buying spree like, I, I was buying some Derrick Henry. I don't think I've ever been overweight on Derrick Henry and Dynasty in my life, maybe since, like, his third year in the league. But, um, yeah, like, I, I was able to get Derrick Henry. There was, like, a couple little things added on. But, essentially, I was able to get Derrick Henry straight up for Jahan Dotson. Um, I, I was able to trade um, – uh, what was it? Rem- prior to the season. So, you know, maybe we might even get him cheaper now, although one of these guys has gone way downhill too. But I was able to trade um, Ramondre – KJ Hamler and Wandale for Alvin Kamara. Um, traded Damian Pierce in one spot for Derrick Henry. I, I, I'm, I'm buying uh, these old running backs right now. They're at a price where, like, it used to be these guys would be costing multiple firsts. They're obviously not worth that. Um, so, like, it's a legitimate downgrade in value. They don't have that much time left. The way I'm treating a lot of these guys is, is like, okay, whatever. Now the dynasty market is kind of assuming that they're already cooked in terms of their talent. Like, the risk is kind of off at this point. Like you just get what you pay for until you don't anymore. And, and it's fine. Like that's why I was not buying these guys in startups. I was buying Fournette um, or Connor or even Zeke or whatever, because it was like, I'll just buy the guys that the market has already determined is bad. So they don't have any juice left in their ADP. Like people are just looking at them as one year rentals. But if like Cook or Camara or Henry, or these guys are now into that tier where the market is like, you're bad now and we don't care about you, then fine. I'll, I'll just take the points for as long as, as I can get them. Because it is pretty easy to replace a lot of these players that like we might like, but that don't really matter. Mm-hmm, for sure. All right, that's Kamara. Two last guys. I'll let you do the lap first. Gabriel Davis. Will Gabriel Davis be bouncing back this year? Gabriel Davis will definitively not be down- bouncing back this year because he still has a 10% target share, even though he's getting all the routes. Uh He's injured. Like I, yes, he is injured, and that's probably affecting him to some degree. 
but also the coaching staff is still putting them out on like every single play. <laughs> Literally. So I don't know how injured he necessarily is. He is, or I don't know how much that's really affecting him. Could be a lot, but it's probably not affecting him to a degree where he would be paying off at ADP if he were still 100% healthy. Because like, honestly, he's got 10% target share. Like we don't see players go from a, 20%, 25% target share down to a 10% target share when they have a high ankle sprain. We see them go from like a 20% to an 18%. And then we see a little bit less efficiency generally. Like they don't draw, they don't cut their target share in half just because they're injured. So he's toast. And I'm sorry that you did not heed my warning and drafted him anyway because of vacation targets and a high value offense. You might as well have just taken Alan Lazard for a lot less. Kid's gonna be just fine. Uh, all right, here's here's my victory lap. It's the guy that I was pretty. I made my fade of the year on the Dynasty Intervention podcast this year in redraft specifically, but I don't have much in Dynasty either. Uh, Mr. Allen Robinson is he just like done? Is he fully AJ Green? Yeah, yeah, he's toast. It's <laughs> over. Uh, the first week I was like, you know, first game, like maybe working out the kinks. Uh, and then it, it, nothing's changed. And like, oh, side note, I'm sending out offers for Tyler Higby, which I've never done in my life. I'm yeah, like, if, he's just, if he's just gonna oh get like God. this many targets, like he can't fail. Like he just can't <laughs> fail with that many targets. Nobody can. Yeah, I could catch. They're gonna throw the ball to me that many times. I might <laughs> be okay. Like I might be a tight end one. You'd probably be a tight end one. He'd score touchdowns. Yeah. Really tall. No, I I kind of agree. Like I. I mean, the only thing that gives me slight pause is, like, they are going to get some bodies. Like, Van Jefferson should be back soon. I mean, he sucks, but he's probably better than Bennett Skoranek. Honestly, he's probably better than Allen Robinson at this point. Um, <laughs> and then, like, I still think they're going to re-sign OBJ, but we'll we'll see. I think so. um, that being said, like, OBJ is old. He's coming off back-to-back ACL tears. Like, I don't know if he has much left. If he does, it's probably next year. It's probably not this year. So, um I, I don't. I think that Higby thing makes sense. Like we've seen this with tight ends, where tight ends get off to seemingly um, unsustainable starts based on their talent profile, but they're getting a lot of usage. And usually, the time to fade them is next year. But like in the meantime, they usually keep it up. Like we saw this with Schultz last year. We saw this with Logan Thomas the year before. We've seen this with Gary Barnage in the past. Like there's these guys where it's like this guy stinks. Why is he getting so many targets? And like next year, they probably won't. But like in the meantime, it's like because the thing with tight ends, I just think it's a little different. Like with the routes, routes, and air quotes that Tyler Higby runs, it's like okay, well they're going to cover Cup and he's still going to get a million targets, and then they're like, all right, well we'll pay attention to deep guys, I guess. But if you want to just chuck the Higby for six yards a pop, I, I sure <laughs> like defenses are pretty open to it and they're doing it, so it's crazy. They don't ever throw to the running back. Like I think that they're treating Higby as like a satellite running back. And it's, I mean, yeah, I think so. Egregious. Which is really odd. Cause like they're really not throwing to the running backs. And like, even, yeah. even when Todd Gurley was there, like I, I feel like he still had, he wasn't like Christian McCaffrey or anything when it came to, uh, to targets, but I feel like he still had like a 15% target share. I don't know that Henderson yeah. and Akers together have a 15% target share. No, not even close. I mean, I've been saying like, I've been saying in Hitchhiker's Guide, like two weeks ago, I was like, I was like, Henderson's 
um, behind acres and touches, but he's running all these routes. So it's a matter of time until he starts getting targets. And then each, then the next week I was like, he still didn't get any targets. And at this one, I'm just like, okay, well, I don't really know what to make of these routes because <laughs> apparently they don't mean anything. So I'm not really sure if that's going to actually change. You know, it's a bit yeah, of a trend. I just looked. Gurley's big boy seasons where he's RB1 in 2017 and 18, he had an 18.2 and 16.3% target. I don't share. even know if they're at 8.2 this year. Yeah, it's wild. Like they're just absolutely not throwing to and like this is why i absolutely despise like all these like quarterback corollary kind of things where it's like oh right. tom brady loves throwing to the tight end no tom brady like throwing to rob Gronkowski. yeah stafford like throwing stafford, a theoretic i was gonna say matt stafford used to be the guy who loved to throw to the freaking running back because he's a theoretic who was maybe that was just jim good, bob cooter's offense it was a pretty good <laughs> pass catcher in his day and like maybe he just liked to throw to theoretic maybe theoretic was better than we thought i don't know but he sure as hell ain't throwing to the running backs now. That's for sure. My goodness. All right. Let's pivot quickly here from this elongated, bloated segment that has ruined Matt's chances of a tight episode. And I want to talk about something sad. Um, a player that once upon a time we both really loved. Uh, one of our, our, our few shared pleasures uh, was this player. He, he then became really overrated, but that's fine. Um, he ended up on my Scott Fishbowl team. Um, that's very sad because uh, I won't be winning anything in the Scottish Bowl now. But uh, Javante Williams left the world this year. I uh, torn ACL, tore two other ligaments, I believe, an LCL and a, and a PLC. Quick reactions. One, is there a price you'd be looking to buy Javante for? Um, and what is that price? Or do you think you're more inclined to sell? Two, is Melvin Gordon like a legit like RB1 type the rest of the season? Is it Mike Boone season or is it just going to be a nobody season? <laughs> so number one, Javante, uh, anytime there's like a, a season-ending injury or like suspension or whatever, anytime there's like a tremendous amount of uncertainty going forward, mm-hmm. I always look to sell. Like the instant that it happens, I'm like Javante Torres ACL. He's on the block. Who wants him? And I'm hoping to get you know 90% of value. Hoping somebody just doesn't think it's as serious as it is, hmm. or really wants the player and doesn't want anybody else to to have a chance or whatever happens. Once that window closes and we now see like the bottom fall out, which I think we're at that point now, probably already with Javante. Usually it take, takes a day or two. Now I'm like, I'm probably not selling because we're going to get – like we see this time and time again. It's not it's not a unique instance. What happens is these players get hurt. Their value just tanks. And then yeah. all year as they're ramping back up to play, we hear about how they're ahead of schedule and things mm-hmm. are great and they're looking awesome and this is going to be their best year ever. And then, and then when that happens, I'm potentially looking to sell again depending yeah. on who the player is. Once we get back to, you know, 80, 90% of the original value, you know what? There's a lot of risk here. I'm probably out. That's what this is. is like famously my argument about Cam Akers with Coop. When I was like, he got injured. I was buying all the acres and then summer came around. I was selling all the acres. Oh, and, yeah. and yeah, it's, 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 I, I agree with you on all that socks for Javante. I mean, I think the thing is like, I was telling people to, to go make aggressive offers kind of on either side of this right when it happened. Cause I was like, you kind of have like a nice, analogy in jk dobbins where this just kind of happened um 
was like, that kind of gives us a nice little anchoring point to understand like where we want to sell above or below value. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I probably long-term probably not going to be holding a ton, but I might be buying in the interim for sure. Uh, I'd have some interest. Well, I think the, the problem with Juante is really that he was tragically overvalued uh, from the moment that people thought Melvin Gordon was going to leave. But his value never really came down all that much, even when Melvin Gordon resigned. And so now when it's like, okay, his value fell, it's like, well, he was already overvalued. So the chances are that even with his value falling, he still might be overvalued. But also that means that when he gets back, he might still be you know, overvalued. So if you're, as long as he stays on that overvalued plane the whole time, then you just keep going. Um, I don't know why my screen went blank. I don't know. Can you it's hear probably me? probably Matt's sabotage your computer because it's... No, it's not. Power. Um, oh, that's why. Oh, there you go. Um, I, uh, I unplugged my camera so that my computer would uh, stay on because I mentioned <laughs> the charger issue. Good, and then um, I left my camera over top of the webcam. So Naturally. All right. <laughs> Um, all right, I'm with you on Javante Williams. Let's talk quick Melvin Gordon. Uh, what do you think Melvin Gordon would be worth if you're looking for a quick... Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like he's still kind of okay, good. Like, I don't think he's the best running back in the world by any stretch, but I think it's totally possible he has like a back-end RB1. Yeah, uh, I agree. Finish. I agree. I I'm going to be offering for Melvin Gordon in every league. I think that the... Had this happened like in preseason, people would be pumped for Melvin Gordon right now. But the fact that he fumbled, that Mike Boone had more snaps than him, I think that that stuff is like making people kind of nervous about Melvin Gordon, which is pretty great because I don't really want to buy Melvin Gordon for like a lot because, no. you know, it's Melvin Gordon. Uh, yeah. But definitely, like if, I, if I'm a contender, right, and I have a running back injury or maybe maybe I maybe I'm not a, or didn't think I was going to be a contender. Now I think I might be a contender. And I'm like, I just kind of need somebody, but I don't want to go pay up a ton. Like Alvin Gordon's a great fit, right? Because I think he's he's pretty locked into this role for the rest of the year. He could totally be a fringe RB one, and you know, is he if he's an RB one the rest of the year and then does basically nothing afterwards? Like that also could be the case for like Alvin Kamara or Leonard Fournette or James Gunn or like a lot of these other older running backs. So um, I, I'd be pretty comfortable spending like at least a mid two on Melvin Gordon. I think that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's uh, I probably oh, let me back up. I probably wouldn't trade a mid two, but I would trade a mid two value if I could trade a player. Yeah. I mean, that's what two. I always kind of say is like, I don't really want to trade the pick, but I'd trade the, but yeah. There's a lot of guys in that mid two range that I'd be perfectly fine punting on at this point. And Melvin Gordon, like I said, I think he's probably going to be a back end RB one kind of in the 14, 15 point range going forward. And like, how ridiculous! There's just just a tangent for a just this just a moment of tangent. Matt, calm down. Nathaniel Hackett benched Melvin Gordon, like twenty eight year old, six seven eight year NFL veteran for a goddamn fumble. Like that was fourth this, one in four weeks. But like, he's Melvin Gordon. He's like, he he already knows how to play football. Like, you're you're not. 
Like, I don't, it's just like punishing people for something like that is just ridiculous. Oh. He got like, what he deserved he... because like running backs don't matter, but Mike Boone did in the worst way. He dropped three passes in the second <laughs> half. It was egregious, including the game ending pass. So that's true. Yeah, the Mike Boone stuff, like it, it happened before last week. He was like playing a lot of long down and distance snaps. He ran the most routes on the team, or sorry, he had the most long down and distance snaps on the team in week three. But like then he was horrible in that role. So I guess like what I would say is probably the best thing to do would be to project Melvin Gordon to be the clear lead rusher next week. And I, I guess we should probably project Boone to play a lot of long down and distance pass down snaps. But if you're going to ask me what's more likely Melvin Gordon crowds out Boone of all the pass down snaps or Mike Boone takes a bunch of Melvin Gordon's rushing. Like, I think we all know the answer to that one. So the, the hilarious thing about this, and I, th I think we kind of made fun of this already last year or last week, but just, I, I just need to say this because it's so freaking ridiculous. Here are Mike Boone's receiving stat lines <laughs> since he entered the NFL. In 2018, he was a rookie and he had two receptions. 2019, three. 2022, 2021, two. The guy, the guy's career high receptions in a season, in a, an entire season, is three. Why are they playing this guy on long down and distance? It doesn't make any sense. Nathaniel Hackett needs to be like, we can't wait for one and done. He needs to be four <laughs> games and done. If he lasts as long as Urban Meyer, it's entirely too long. Can he like, is, can we interview the punter? Is there a chance that he's already kicked the punter? <laughs> like we got to get this guy out of here. Can we get a film crew following him around to the local bars every night? We need him gone. <laughs> Unbelievable. He, he's truly, tr truly a ridiculous uh, a ridiculous individual, that's for sure. All uh, right, on to the next topic here. We already talked about Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about Sanders and Penny, but basically every quote unquote gross running back, the guys that Twitter doesn't like, basically, they they had a day in week four. Uh CH continued a strong season. Miles Sanders had like a pretty strong season to open, but he like really kicked it into high gear this week. Josh Jacobs had and uh, Rashad Penny were not doing much, but boy, did they ever do a lot in this one. They jump off with, uh, I believe, 30-point weeks each. Damian Pierce um, also has a big breakout game. W which pick one, which stood out to you as the most sustainable? Well, I think that the easy answer is the one that I was picking in the preseason, which is Miles Sanders. So and why Sanders. do you think that's the most sustainable? Because Miles Sanders has a history of being a bell cow. Like it's not, it's not new. It's not, we're not betting on something that's never happened before. We're betting on something that happened and then it happened again. And then he got hurt. And then when he came back, it didn't happen anymore. We're, we saw an injury affect the way that the, he was used. We saw the injury. Like it's, it's a clear line. If you look at last year's game loss, it is a clear line. He was a bell cow, bell cow, bell cow, bell cow, boom, injured. And then just like huge committee the rest of the year. And now we are back to Belkow, 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 Belkow. The guy's a Belkow. He's going to get a ton of opportunity. He doesn't get as many uh, targets as I would love. He's not going to be a 20 plus, per, 20 plus points per game player, but he could easily be a, you know, a Nick Chubb or better for a lot less. And that's pretty exciting. Here's why it's not Miles Sanders. Of all You're these wrong. running backs, Miles Sanders was like the only running back who didn't actually get a role change. It looks like he got a role change. Week one to three average snaps, 54, plays 67 this week. Week one to three average routes, 43, plays 53 this week. Carries, 51, that's 57% this week. Target, seven, 
13 this week. It looks like he got a much bigger role. I don't think he actually got a bigger role. Maybe somewhat more carries because Boston Scott was out and they liked Boston Scott more than Trey Sermon. But other than that, if we look situationally, he was already dominating all the early downs, right? Which is a positive. Like his role was better than what was feared in the preseason. If he had this role that he has and people knew he would have that role in the preseason, he wouldn't be like the third running back on some of my zero RB teams in round 10. Like he would have been going in like round four or round five. But he wasn't playing any of the two-minute drill snaps. He wasn't playing any of the long down or distance snaps. And he was seeding snaps at Kenny Gainwell and trail script. This game just existed in more of the situations that Miles Sanders plays in. When they run the ball, they clearly want Miles Sanders to be their back. He is their clear lead rusher. That is not in dispute. And in this game, the Eagles, who have been generally roughly neutral to slightly above neutral in pass rate and neutral game script, pass rate over expectation, this game they went way the other way. They went minus 16%. Pass rate over expectation, 16% under expectation. Maybe has something to do with the torrential downpour that was happening the entire game in Philadelphia, if I had to guess. And so I think with this game is they looked at it and said, look, this weather is ridiculous. We're now ahead in the second half. We're not going to mess around. We're just going to pound the ball with Miles Sanders. Uh, or we're just going to pound the ball, period. And if we're going to pound the ball, we're going to do it with the guy that we want to pound the rock with. And that's Miles Sanders. And so he ends up getting more snaps across the board. But we didn't really see a role change. I think that this week showed the ceiling of what his role is, which is a really decent ceiling, a higher ceiling than potentially we thought we, that he would have. But I don't think that he's like a top 12 running back. I think that he's still a mid-range RB2 who's going to have spike weeks. So interestingly enough, he had a 69.2 opportunity share heading into week four. And then he had... Oh, wait, did they already updated. Maybe they've already updated. Maybe he has a 69.2 opportunity percent opportunity share right now i thought it was going into the week and then he had like a 85 or something because this week most of the opportunities were skewed to rush which is where he gets most of his opportunities so yeah like i don't know he's got he's he has a very high opportunity share and when you have a very high opportunity share you're on the field more often which means that you're going to have a pretty reasonable chance to score a lot of fantasy points he's not going to score 20 plus fantasy points because his target share is tiny. He's only got a 7.6% target share. He's basically Rashad Penny, but on a good team. Here's the guy who actually got a role change and who honestly might be a top 12 running back rest of the season. And it pains me because I, I like have hated this player basically his whole career. Um, and I hate his stands on Twitter. They infuriate me particularly. One have stands on, I've never seen a Josh Jacobs stand on Twitter. Never. Yeah, famously, nobody's named after Josh Jacobs. <laughs> <laughs> um, but look, I, I got to give it up to the guy, Josh Jacobs. You want to talk about opportunity share. Josh Jacobs this week had an 89% snap share. 89% snap share. They had 75 total snaps. He played 67 of them. That is otherworldly high. That is like... Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, level high. He runs 72% of the routes. That's unfathomably elite. He ends up seeing 20% or he ends up seeing 80% of the carries, 20% of the targets. Total bell cow roll. I think partially this is a little bit noise. Raiders had 75 plays, incredibly only nine third downs. That's just not usually how it works. If you have 75 plays, you usually have more than nine third downs. <laughs> 
Brandon Bolden still played five of the nine third downs. I'm not sure of how many other third downs were short yardage third downs, which Jacobs normally plays. That being said, there was some legitimate switches. In week one, when Bolden was active, Jacobs played 0% of snaps the two-minute drill. It all went to Bolden. Some of it went to Abdullah, mostly Bolden. Week two and three, Bolden's out. Jacobs plays a little under 50% of the two-minute drill. He splits it roughly 50-50 with Amir Abdullah. Week four, Bolden is back. Abdullah's there. Jacobs plays the entire two-minute drill in that game. That's a legitimate new role. And despite getting all in all of these carries, they were like, no, let's just keep piling up Jacobs. Let's not work in Bolden. Let's not work in Abdullah. Let's not even work in Zamir White, the new rookie, right? Zamir White converts a third and one. That's like a 25-yard run all the way down inside the 10-yard line. Immediately, they sub him out. They get Josh Jacobs back in to punch in the touchdown. Uh, so Jacobs, I think, benefited from some game script, from some noisiness to put up this massive numbers. But there were also ways that they could have compensated for that. They decided not to. They decided to give him 67 snaps as a running back. They decided to give him a zillion touches. So I think that we are looking at an actual bell cow in Josh Jacobs. Um, he's probably not going to have 30 fantasy points every week, but I do think it's entirely reasonable that he could have like 17, 18 points per game the rest of the season. Well, what's interesting about that is that Josh, I didn't realize this. Josh Jacobs is currently sitting on an 84% opportunity share as well which is number three in the NFL. So yeah. I'm going to go ahead and change my answer to Josh Jacobs because I did not realize it was that high. Uh, he, I had like a he had a lot more receiving and just kind of assumed it was a one-off game, but that opportunity share is insane. Yeah. He had sort of a quietly good role. I would say for the first, uh, for the first portion of the year, like, he basically, everybody thought he was going to be seeding early downs, some early downs to Samir White, and then he wasn't going to get any passing downs. And it was kind of like half true. Like he he was seeding all the passing downs to Bolden and Abdullah, but White was getting nothing. And so he was kind of having like, an, like a last year Antonio Gibson type role. And then it's evolved where he's like now also getting most of the passing downs and he's getting all the rushing downs. And so then it's basically just like a, you get all the touches type role, which is like a really good type role. So uh, it's pretty astounding. I, I don't know if this necessarily sticks, but it's also like, there's no reason to think it can't stick. Like Brandon Bolden sucks. Amir Abdullah sucks. Amir White, you know, who knows, but we, we both didn't like him as a prospect. Um, I don't think Josh Jacobs is a great talent, but like, I think it's pretty obvious that he's by far the best talent on their roster. And if they want to deploy the best talent on their roster on 80% of the opportunities and snaps, like, who might have begrudged them? Yeah, okay. I'm I'm going back and forth here. I Josh Jacobs still only had a 9.7% target share on the season. Miles Sanders has 7.6%. Uh, they're very similar roles, actually, which is kind of wild. Yeah, they're but Jacobs similar... more, he plays in more situations. Like Sanders yeah. is capped out of more situations than Josh Jacobs is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like I think that the reason we're seeing the greater like over like raw touches. It probably has more to do with the Raiders uh, running a lot more plays than the Eagles or something. Because that's not a very big difference in target share. It's like two percentage points. That's basically nothing. But yet it's well, like they've had a lot more pass 3. attempts. 5 targets. They've hey? had a lot more pass attempts than the Eagles. Yeah. And there was somebody on this very program very recently telling me that the Eagles were only not passing because they were just blowing teams out. Which is true. So we'll and see. And they played in a downpour. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. So if that's true, then it would be reasonable to suggest that Miles Sanders 
passing usage, raw usage will go up. Well, but it won't. That's the difference because Jacobs actually is out there when they're passing. But when the Eagles are passing, it's Gainwell. And yet it's still 7.6 to 9.7. They're basically the same. And I'm just going to say this. Miles Sanders has home run potential and Josh Jacobs has 10-yard potential. So, like, I don't know. It's close. Probably Jacobs, Look, but it's give me the last part, but it's it's Josh Jacobs, which like makes me sick. Do you think I want to be making the case for Josh Jacobs? Hey, look, anytime that Moving. you can get behind an unathletic, useless running back, I know that you can't wait to do it. So that's how much that's how much people should be excited about Josh Jacobs. <laughs> I am excited about Josh Jacobs. Oh my god. No, I, I think I I had actually just made an argument in uh in the Discord, I think on Monday about Nick Chubb versus Josh Jacobs versus David Montgomery and how they all score basically the same amount of points, but Nick Chubb is a Ferrari price. And you should actually just probably have Josh Jacobs or David Montgomery instead. And Miles Sanders is right in that same ballpark usually, or maybe not usually, but has been in that 14 to 16 point ballpark. So now he will be because they've allowed him to score touchdowns again, which they had a three touchdowns this year. The dude's on fire. He had zero last year. He's got three and four games. He's like Nick Chubb light. <laughs> Nick Chubb light. All right, I'm going to go ahead and skip a topic because uh, we're way over. We're way over time, but I-, I wanted to touch on this because I think this is a-, a nice piece of dynasty strategy. So, how do you know that it's time for your underperforming team to tank? And what steps do you usually take if you've decided now that it's going to tank? Like, do you just fire sale everything? What, what do you do? Walk me through, like, the psychology, the practice. How do you transition your team from what was expected to be potentially a, a team competing to a team that no longer has interest in competing this year? Well, I tend to break down my teams before they break down themselves. So I had a team this year, actually, that... Um, well, let's, let's say, you know, let's, let's say that you actually had a pretty decent roster, but... I don't know. Say a couple of things happen that contribute, right? Say you had Trey Lance. Um, he's no longer a factor. So you went from thinking you had top 12 quarterback to now you're starting like, I don't know, uh, Ryan Tannehill every week. And then you had Javante Williams. And now you definitely don't have Javante Williams. Um, I don't know. You had Allen Robinson, your starting lineup, and he's not doing anything for you. Like you, And all of a sudden you're looking at your team and you're like, man, this isn't really going to get it done. Yeah, so in that case, then, yeah, that's a pretty easy choice. There's no real, how do we know when we're breaking it down? We know because we're not scoring any friggin' points if those are our players. Uh, Very simple question. You just break down your team when you don't score points. That's the easy answer. So then how to break it down? Very much a matter of, I just like to sell pretty much anything that I can. Uh, From a strategic standpoint, I like to punt everyone at a particular position which is usually running back or quarterback i'm not going to trade josh allen for nothing by any stretch but uh at running back it's like clear out the deck we're going to start absolute duds that score zero points so that we definitely are going to score zero points as a team and we're going to be fine i try to move all of my value from quarterback running back tight end into the wide receiver room young wide receivers uh or or even like veteran wide like i don't know depends on how what age you call young but like 26 or under wide receivers is usually what i try to get so that's like guys like uh, deontay johnson and dj moore and 
so on and so forth. The the veterans that are undervalued because they're not producing at the rate that people would like them to. And then also, you know, the the second year players that aren't doing what they need to be doing either that we already are pretty sure are good. So like Rashad Bateman and Elijah Moore. And then I would be trying to get draft picks, all the draft picks. Give me every single draft pick. Draft picks don't score points, which helps me uh, secure a higher draft choice. Uh, Like I said, we're punting all of the running backs. We're running out like literal backup running backs to start and literally scoring zero points. With the quarterbacks, it really depends. I'm not going to trade like my superstar quarterbacks. I'm probably going to be fine scoring so few points because of the running back situation that it doesn't really matter if I score a little bit at quarterback. But if I have any like mid-tier quarterbacks, like they're gone. Like I'm not hanging on to Derek Carr or Kirk Cousins or Matt Stafford or those kind of guys. Like if I'm rebuilding, they're out the door. I'll go and buy some of these like unknowns, like a Zach Wilson or a Kenny Pickett or uh, you know, like Trey Lance. If you can buy an injured player, that's usually a pretty good idea. Um, yeah. Because we we get that automatic uh, value bounce back in the offseason anyway. So yeah, that's kind of the plan. I'm with you. I think I think the number one mistake that teams make when they're when they're blowing up their team. Uh, hard to say what the number one is. There's so many, but one one big one I think for me that people make is they are trying to envision what their eventual team will be, right? I'll talk to people where it's like, okay, I'll sell, you know, I'll sell Zeke. You know, I'll, I'll sell, I'll even sell Devontae. I'm not selling DeAndre Swift. Like that's part of my future. It's like, oh, no, I'm selling DeAndre Swift. Nobody is part of your future, right? Like if you are holding a player who is of high value, especially like a non-rookie player or non-second year player, or like really just any running back, um, you're not holding that player, right? You don't have to envision what your lineup will look like. Your eventual lineup is not your immediate concern, you should just be trying to soak value. You also have to think like every time that you have a high value player on your team and you're not trying to score points, you're putting the value of your team at immense risk. Like look at what happened with Javante Williams, right? He was holding all this value. He's no longer holding all that value. Trey Lance was holding all this value. He's no longer holding all that value. If you're rostering a Jamar Chase or a Justin Jefferson and you're rebuilding, I would even still move them because you're, you're facing a lot of risk that catastrophic injury could strike and you could be losing p- perspective value. And the other issue is if you're rebuilding, I'm assuming that your team is of low value in total, right? If your team is of high value, then you probably shouldn't be rebuilding, right? Like even if you've had a few injuries, you probably have so much value either with your injured players, your picks that maybe you can reach goal on the fly. But if you're a low value team, I don't want to score a high percentage of my roster value in a player whose value can't go up. Like Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson value can't get any higher, realistically. They're already first round startup picks, right? All I can do is stay the same or get lower, just functionally. So I would rather break those pieces down into a bunch of pieces that are generally good bets to accrue value, like first round picks and second round picks and young players that we've identified with good sophomore comps, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so that's that's definitely um, what I want to be focused on. I think there's like a Goldilocks that you have to find a middle ground between being too picky in deals and being too easy. Like it's week four, right? Going into week five. If you aren't offered what you want right now and you've talked to everyone and you feel like you can't get what you offered, you don't have to take the best offer deal immediately if the deal isn't good, right? I think sometimes people sell too early. 
there's going to be more injuries. There's going to be more bye weeks. There's going to be more desperation from other teams who maybe think they're in good shape now, but they're not as in good shape later. Yes, you have some risk carrying a player that might get injured, but if you're not able to find a satisfactory role now, you can play that all the way through. Right? You don't have to sell right away. However, also seeing it the other way where teams are either too picky about just asking too much and they end up like holding players on the team that they shouldn't hold or more commonly they're too picky about the kind of assets that they'll take in return like i've seen people say oh i only want 23 picks i don't want to wait until 2024 because i want to compete in two years and i can't have 24 rookies they're not going to be helpful that year or oh i don't really like that young player you know i don't really like this guy it doesn't matter. You're just assembling value, right? Like you're probably going to compete next year, probably if you're tearing down your team right now. Um, maybe you are, but it's, it's possible that you aren't. You should be allowed to pay the hold cost. You're at least not going to compete this year. So paying one year of hold cost on a 24 first or 25 first shouldn't hurt you at all. You're the team best positioned to do that. So you should be more than happy to take on future picks. Like even if you never make that future pick, even if you trade for a 24 first now and then you hold it for a year and then you trade it at this time next year, because maybe you're competing a year earlier than you thought, you're still making profit on that pick because you're probably getting more buying power of that pick 12 months from now than you just got for it today. So even if you don't want to pick that player, it's fine. Take the 24 picks. And in terms of the young players, like just take the guys that the other people are willing to give you. Like if they want to give you some dude that you don't really like, that's fine. He's just a store of value. You're just putting them on the bench. And hopefully things get better. Like you're just you're you're just a trash collector. Just collect other people's trash and just try and figure it out later. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. Like in, the whole point of rebuilding is just to amass this valuable team that you can then go and do whatever you want with. You don't have like that's one of the, my biggest pet peeves is people are on Twitter being like, "Oh, you, how are you supposed to ever win? You just trade for draft picks." I'm like, well, there's such an easy thing. Like, if you trade for players, you need to find somebody that wants that player. If you trade for a draft pick, find 10 owners in your league that don't want a draft pick. Like, everybody wants a draft pick. It's like they're, they're the easiest thing in the world to trade. But if you go and buy Rashad Bateman, there's a whole bunch of people that think Lamar Jackson's a running back and the Ravens are never going to pass. And there's like four potential buyers in your league. If you go and buy a first round pick, the whole league is interested in that. Comes after the next. I don't really understand why people think that if you trade for draft picks, your only option is to then use the draft picks or trade for more draft picks. It's like, no, like we're we're just amassing value in a way that is secure that we're not going to be, you know, putting our team at risk by rostering Rashad Bateman, who may never turn out. Who knows? If Rashad Bateman finishes the year really terrible, the value is gone. My 2023 first-round pick isn't going to finish the year terrible because it's a freaking draft pick. There's no <laughs> tangible like production tied to this. They don't get injured. They don't disappoint. They're, they're just a vessel of value, and it's wonderful. Exactly. I could and not then, agree more. And then like my... the, the, 20, the 2024 thing that you mentioned I think is great because – a lot of times you do end up competing earlier than you expect to, especially if you buy like injured kind of like prime aged veterans, they usually bounce back a lot better than what you bought them for. So now you're in your year two and you're like, Oh man, like I, like 
you know, I, I have player X, Y, and Z, and they're all doing great. Geez, my team is like middle of the pack, and I'm sitting on five 2024 firsts. I could probably make a lot of hay with five 2024 firsts if I really want to just go and compete right now. And you just go and buy whatever you want, and your team is now competing. And okay, well, yeah, we didn't have to wait two years to get the value out of those 2024 firsts because we just trade them now. And yeah, it, it like it just makes too much sense. And anybody totally. who hates draft picks is doing it wrong. Totally. We love draft picks. We love draft picks. Uh, I mean, we kind of touched on this in the same conversation, but like, um, oh, sorry, before I get into that, top guys that I want to add on every rebuilding team other than draft picks. For me, I want Trey McBride on every rebuilding team. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I also want oh, Greg yeah. on every rebuilding team. Basically, like any tight end with a decent enough profile that is not going to score points their first year, probably, but it's like Who's almost a lock to a career guy. Greg Dulcich. What? Greg Dulcich. I want him on every rebuilding team. I'm not going to pay much, but I, I want Greg Dulcich, man. What? Why do you want him? Greg Dulcich has a phenomenal production profile. He was drafted in round three, and his only meaningful competition that we thought he would have coming into the year just played one snap yesterday. And now he's going to be active off, off uh, IR this week. Oh, all right. Greg Dulcich isn't overly exciting to me, but he does have nice hair and a great mustache. So there is okay. that. Let me. I, why I isn't Greg Dulcich exciting to you? I don't know. He's just kind of whatever. If you're going to buy a tight end that isn't going to score any points, go get yourself a Jelani Woods that's going to like get people. No, excited. Greg Dulcich is so much fucking better than Jelani Woods. I don't care if he's better. Jelani Woods has a profile that is going to make people say, ooh la la, like they did with Albert Okwaganum, who didn't do anything. And Jelani's probably equal in impressiveness from a physical standpoint and do we do know the physical standpoint matters at the tight end position right but greg Goldsich has adequate physical ability 72nd percentile uh 40 yard dash 47 right on the line 63rd percentile speed score 69th percentile bear score but what he has is production 84th percentile college dominator baby jelani woods wishes he could have production like that jelani woods had a 94th percentile college dominator what are you speaking of Jelani Woods, his production profile is fraudulent trash, only based on touchdowns. He got like no yards for eternity. Let me, I'm going to pull up the screen share. Hey, right? you're the one who picked College share. Dominator. I don't even use College Dominator. Yeah, because I was not, and okay, Jelani Woods well, is better at it. Because I was on playerprofiler.com, and frankly, they don't have the stats that I actually like to use, and I didn't want to pull up Campus Ken. But now I have to pull up the campus again. So who is the lead analyst that. on that website anyway? Now I'm even deleting the last minute of this. <laughs> We're taking that out. <laughs> we can't do that. But college dominator is a total trash stat. So oh, it totally is. I just this is the only thing that I had available. All right. <laughs> We're gonna pull up some receiving yards market share right here. It sucks. He didn't do anything until his last year. He had 598 yards in his last year, which was pretty good. All right. Matt, we are now back. We're now back. Um, Why does it say present? Present screen. What about screen share? What's present? Oh, well, let me screen share. That sucks. Anyhow, uh, Greg, all right, 
Go get yourself Greg Dulcich. Don't get yourself Jelani Woods. Greg Jelani. Isn't it Jelani? I thought it was Jelani. Mr. Woods. I don't know. Jelani is well, a way cooler name. I think, it's, it's, I think it's Robert if it's, Woods. If it's Jelani, I'm out. If it's Jelani, I'm in. Okay. So, because it sounds like Jelani Walker. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Jelani, Jelani slash Jelani. Let's call him Jelani. Sure. Uh, Jelani Woods has never even cracked a 15% receiving yards market share. Greg Dulcich, in his third year out of high school, instead of Jelani Woods' fifth, was over a 30% receiving yards market share, it was over 25% as a senior in year four of high school. It's pretty good. Yeah. And he's like a completely ordinary athlete. Completely ordinary. I think adequate's a better word than ordinary. Sufficient, uh, you might even say. Sufficient. I don't, uh, nah, he's pretty ordinary. What is his RAS? Oh, it's actually, you know, his RAS is better than I thought it was. It's 8.25, but it still isn't in a, a category that is even remotely interesting. So what you're saying is he has an adequate RAS. He has high-end college production. He has draft you know the, capital. Do you want to know what Jelani Woods' RAS is? Oh, it's 10. Yeah. That's perfect. He yeah. has a perfect right. RAS. So, so we're talking about is, a specimen. I just want, like, you of all people are out here arguing for a non-productive player whose only thing is athleticism. I did not know that was your brand. I didn't know that you, you know, were a big John Ross. He had 1.2 yards per team pass attempt in his final year. The dude was efficient because he's 1. a point two yards per team pass attempt. That's not even good. It's good enough. No, it's not. The average of tight ends with a top 12 season is 1.8 in year five. Uh, and in year four, it'd be 1.5. He's never been anywhere close to the line. Greg Dulcich had enough. a 2.6 yards per team pass attempt in his third year of high school. That's over double Jelani Woods' best season because Greg Dulcich is significantly better than Jelani Woods. Don't care because athleticism matters way more than market share of receiving yards at tight end. Well, it's yards per team pass attempt. I pick your stat. It doesn't matter. He's fine. He did enough. He doesn't need to be above average. He needs to be above a reasonable amount. And then he needs to have a 10, a perfect 10, a 10, a 10, fucking 10. Get a 10. You know who else you should go get a tight end? Chagosium Oconquo. That guy's hell athletic. And he had three targets and a touchdown on five routes yesterday. Look at that stud. Didn't uh, Jelani Woods just score like two touchdowns in one game on like two targets? (laughs) It's true. Yeah, he did. He did. And then then Mo Ali Cox got the two touchdowns this week. If the Colts could just pick one tight end, man, they'd have a good tight end. And Jelani Woods, even, I think he had like a 30 yard reception this week because he's a freak. Yeah, I'll take Greg Dulcich. All right, we've gone way longer on these shitty tight ends. Point is, I want (laughs) tight ends because they are an easy way to accrue some value and they don't score any points. Rookie tight ends. But Trey McBride is like a mandatory. He's like number one guy I want in every rebuilding team. Oh, yeah. Team. You need Trey McBride. Um, on I want every Calvin team. Ridley. I want Calvin Ridley on every rebuilding team. Um, Hold on. Hold on. Let's talk more about Trey McBride because he's not just a rebuilding target. He's an every team target. The guy had a really, really strong profile. You need Trey McBride on every single team. Okay, carry on. Yeah, you want you want Trey McBride. You want to offer for Trey McBride. But on especially on a rebuilding team, he's like mandatory. Calvin Ridley, yeah. he's a mandatory player on any rebuilding team. Yeah. Uh, Trey Lance, I want to say is mandatory, but I'm definitely sending offers. Javante Williams, sending offers. Um, it's probably too late on Deshaun Watson, but like you still got to try. Um, like certainly if you have an elite quarterback right now, 
and there's a team that's like two and two and they have Deshaun Watson, you definitely go to that team and you say, I'll give you my elite quarterback for your elite quarterback who's not going to play for another half of the season and you give me something else. And then you get Deshaun Watson and, and the something else. Um, and picks, like all picks, but especially like 24 and 25 picks are a really high value. And then just like any any rookie really is, is probably a good store of value. Anyone else jump out to mind immediately? Uh no, I mean, like any good young players that are promising, those are the guys you want. Anybody who's injured, anybody who's suspended, anybody who we know is coming back at some point. Uh, yeah. Uh, I like. So earlier I said, like, I'm not trading Josh Allen because elite quarterbacks are really hard to get. I would trade Josh Allen in some circumstances, like say if I could trade Josh Allen for Kyler Murray and, and, and more. Right. That would be very exciting to me because I'm tearing down, but yet not really tearing down. Yeah. Josh- what if you could trade Josh Allen for Deshaun Watson in a 2023 first? Yeah, I'd do that too, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, I'm probably giving up a point or two per game, like in the long run, but a 2023 first gives your team just a whole lot of flexibility. And who knows? Maybe you aren't giving up a point right. or two in the long run. You know, like, like Kyler Murray right now, I just like I, we talked about him last week, but he still is averaging 21.2 points per game yeah. and has Incredible. a 5.7 yards per attempt. His career average is like 7.3 or something like that. Like he's playing so bad and yet scoring all – he's doing what Baker Mayfield's doing, except he's scoring all the points as well. Yeah, I called it's Kyler weird. Murray Buckley's this week. Like he, he yeah. tastes awful, but it works. Yeah. Like watching right. Kyler Murray is like – I mean, just watching the Cardinals, I don't really want to put all the blame on Kyler. Just watching the Cardinals is an excruciating experience right now. Watching the Cardinals play the Panthers is like one of the worst experiences of my life. But uh, Kyler is getting those fantasy points. All right. Other end of the spectrum. You have a team is the last thing we'll talk about. You have a team that, like you just kind of alluded to, you thought it might not be very good this year. Maybe you were kind of on the fence. Maybe you're just coming out of a rebuild. And you were like, oh, I have some pieces. Might compete this year, but I'm not really sure. You have some flexibility. And I don't know, maybe you've just gotten kind of lucky, won more games than you thought you would. Maybe you have some pieces like an Amon Ross St. Brown or uh, a Garrett Wilson or just players that are scoring a lot more points than necessarily their market value implied that they would this year. And all of a sudden you're looking at your team and you're going, oh man, I'm not that far away. You know, you might have a few firsts. You might have a few seconds. Who are some, who are like the top guys that you would try to buy on a contending roster? You know, maybe we'll split it in two categories. Like one would be potential real spends. Like you're trading a first for this guy. And then other would be like cheap buys. Like if you're kind of half in where you're like, I wouldn't mind giving my lineup a little juice, but I don't want to like fully commit to losing a bunch of value here long-term. So if I'm trading draft picks, what I'm looking for are young players to replace those draft picks. So like if I'm going to go and uh, try to compete when I'm not really expecting to compete, I'm not going to trade my first round pick to go and get a 26 year old running back. Like I'm not going to go trade for Dalvin Cook because that doesn't really make any sense. What I would do is probably go and try to upgrade at quarterback if it's super flex league. Like I'm always looking to upgrade at quarterback. I want to get into that elite tier. I want those 23 points per game players in both of my starter slots, if I can get them. So if I can take my, say, uh, Tua is probably not the best choice to be trading right now, but uh, say my Joe Burrow, 
I got a whole bunch of Joe Burrows because we were too low on Joe Burrow last year. And then that was a huge win. And now we're sitting on all these Joe Burrows and thinking, gosh, we are far too high on Joe Burrow now. We need to move Joe Burrow. So if I'm sitting there and I got Joe Burrow and I got a plethora of draft picks, I'm going and shopping for Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson. And I'm trying to move Joe Burrow into one of those higher tier uh, positions. If I can get that done, that's great. If I can't, then whatever. We'll stick with Joe Burrow. I'm probably not going to invest in high, um, like old running backs, but I would be willing to go and splurge on a, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Brees Hall or someone like that. Like where I, I'm quite confident they're going to be good and good for a long time. I feel like with Brees Hall, we are effectively paying for the insurance of whether or not he was good. Now we've seen him in the NFL. He looks pretty good. So I'm, I'm willing to just go all in on Brees Hall. And I feel Is he like your clear cut dynasty RB2. He's my clear cut dynasty RB2. Yeah, probably. I think there's a chance that, uh, like, I I was saying this in the Discord the other day. I wouldn't be shocked that Brees Hall is the RB1 by the end of the season. Because I, I think, think Jonathan, I think Jonathan Taylor is going to have a, he's not going to have a bad season, but he's not going to be the RB1 anymore. Well, I think the RB1 in Dynasty by week one of next year is B. John Robinson. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I meant by the end of the season. Like, by yeah. the time we get to January, I could see Brees Hall being RB1 and Jonathan Taylor being like RB2. And right, then, I think by January, it's B. John Robinson. And then as soon as we get uh, rookies into the fold, it's B. John okay. Robinson, and it's not close. Like I, I think people are going to go absolutely nuts for him, which is why yeah. 2023 is like the best year you can tank for, by the way. This is yeah. like it's it's funny to say, but 2014 had this bumper crop of players, and then 2017 had this bumper crop of players, and then 2020 had this bumper crop of players, and now 2023 has this bumper crop of players. And it's like every three years we get this huge class. So buy 2026 picks now. Uh, I, I, I honestly I was thinking about it the other day. And I'm like, I wonder if there's anything to this. Like, is there is there something to like these older like superstar players leave at these high, you know, these like impressive schools? And then the next crop gets to play one year sooner, and that allows them to break out earlier and and develop confidence and whatever and makes them awesome. It's probably just coincidence, but like it's too weird that it's been three consecutive or four now consecutive stretches of three year stints of excellent yeah. classes. It's weird. Anyway, well, yeah, Bison's well, gonna be the RB1 next offseason. So I completely well, not completely. I mostly disagree with you. Here's why I disagree with you. Um, most player, most teams with like elite young players probably don't want to sell them for picks unless you're handing them too many picks because you already have the EYR if you're sitting on like a T Higgins or Jalen Waddle or CD Lamb or Brees Hall. So teams aren't going to just be like, yeah, I'll trade you my already really good young player for one first. They're going to make you pay the insurance of you not hitting on that pick. And I don't really want to do that because now I'm paying the most amount possible to get these points into my lineup this year. And all I'm doing to pay all that extra is ensuring my long-term value, which I could already just do. So sure, if I have like an egregiously high value team, like I've been taking for a while, like say I tanked out of the startup and I just like soaked value on a productive struggle and I'm like so far ahead of every other team, then sure, I want to buy the Brees Hall. But like 
Otherwise, I think I'm probably going to the teams that are in the opposite position of me who thought they would be good and aren't so good. And I'm saying, okay, what's the price on Devontae Adams? What's the price on uh, Tyreek Hill, Stefan Diggs, whoever is like the old dude that's not helping them much, Travis Kelsey, whatever. And I'll see if I can spend for them because at least that way it's like I'm just converting. I'm buying the maximum amount of points that I can this year for the least amount of cost. And sure, that's probably going to hurt later. But I think that's ultimately kind of the trade-off that you can make to get as many points in your lineup as possible without offloading a bunch of picks. But what I'd probably do even more than that is like, I'd probably try to poke around the edges a little bit and see, can I get a Melvin Gordon? Can I get a Devin Singletary? Can I get a Leonard Fournette? Can I get uh, like these guys who aren't necessarily of all that much value to their owners, but kind of allow me to skate skate by i mean it depends on the team that you have like i have a team where i already have kyler i already have lamar um and i have you know kind of just not a thick enough roster between them because i'm sort of going for the pillars first and i'm sort of filling out the rest later and i just kind of want like the cheapest points that i can buy um i don't know in general i feel like draft pick trades for elite young players don't really happen unless you just really overpay yeah, you got to put something else with it. You can't just go offer two firsts for uh, Brees Hall. You're going to have to do a first and something else for Brees Hall, more than likely. And it's got to be something attractive, like, uh, I don't know, a first in Chris Olave or and that. And maybe that's not even enough. I'm not sure if that would get you a Right. Like you almost have to sell a young asset that you don't fully believe in. Like, this is something I've yeah. been trying to do. It's like, I've been, I have like a lot of Dotson, for instance, because now we got hurt. It's just a bummer. But, um, I have a lot of Dotson because I didn't really like anybody that much at the one, two turn. And I didn't really like Dotson that much either, but he just like routinely fell into the early second. And I just felt like he was like a good value selection in the early second. He was uh, because people were out here drafting like James cook and doing ridiculous shit like that. So I was like, all right, I'll take Jahan Dotson. If you're going to draft James cook ahead of him. Um, and so I have a bunch of Dotson, but I don't actually think Dotson's all that good. And then he played and he's not actually been all that good, but boy, is he ever scoring touchdowns. Um, and so people think he's really good now. <laughs> they used to not think that. Um, and so I've been looking at it, it's like, okay, can I use Dotson and be like, here's a young, attractive rookie for your young, attractive player. And I'll add a little bit. Um, and maybe that other person is like, oh yeah, well, you know, I'm not, maybe I'm not even downgrading, you know, like I'm, I'm getting Jahan Dotson. He's really great. Um, He's just underrated because he wasn't drafted as high. And, you know, if you can turn Dotson, who, I mean, I still think could be good. Like, I don't want to say he's bad because he hasn't earned a bunch of targets for his first four games. That's that's fine. He could still be great. But where I think his value is a little bit inflated, you know, add something to him and try to get somebody like a CD Lamb or a, or a Waddle or whatever else. But, like, somebody who's going to make more of a difference. Um, that's a guy where it's like, I would do Dotson in a first for Brees Hall if that's possible. You know, you never know if that's possible or not, but. Yeah, I was able to swing Garrett Wilson straight for Brees Hall last week. Wow, that's pretty. Exciting. Actually, technically, it wasn't straight. I was able to do Garrett Wilson and Khalil Herbert for Brees Hall and David Bell, but I feel like the Herbert Bell is like basically not really... basically straight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it's an interesting thing because I think uh, when I'm trying to rebuild, I'm often taking someone like Jahan Dotson who I probably drafted in the early second round because I have a lot of Jahan Dotson as well. And I don't love the prospect and I don't think that he's been overly impressive as a, as a pro thus far. So I'm like willing to move off of him with this value gain that he's already sustained. 
So now I'm looking at, well, what can I trade Johan Dotson for? And for me, typically how I build my re like my productive struggle is I get to a point where my team is so deep that I just literally don't have roster spots left. Like I can't go pick up a backup running back off waivers because I, I just don't have the space for it. My, my players are all like valuable per se. So then I'm just looking to trade like a Jahan Dotson and uh, whatever else and going to get a star or like a superstar difference maker. If I am in a situation where I'm not like overstocked with players and picks and I was maybe trying to do like a fast rebuild where I didn't really take the time to accumulate the roster value that I would normally do. I would take it like a Jahan Dotson instead of, or instead of trading uh, draft picks for veterans, I'd probably take someone like Jahan Dotson and try to trade him for a veteran. Like, could you get Jahan mm-hmm. Dotson for a Keenan Allen and, and maybe a little, right. little plus on top? Like that would be exciting to me. Yeah, I'm to probably that. a lot more excited to do that than go and trade a first round pick for Keenan Allen. If that makes I did sense. that, I did that one team. I did uh, Dotson for Derrick Henry. Yeah. Like that's the kind of trade that I would be willing to do. And when you do these rebuilds, you like I cannot stress enough. You need all the draft picks. Like getting and, and you and you draft players that you don't like. It's okay. Players that you don't like still have impressive stretches of football. Yeah. And people rush out to best case scenario on the weirdest things, like say scoring four touchdowns on eight catches. They're like, yeah, this always comes awesome. back to the game. But I, no, I agree with you. Like, here's here's my roster. So I fully blew up. I'm going to do this whole thread for the patrons about the process of my rebuild with my home league team because I think it will be fun for the patrons to follow along. And Adam Harstad did this one time. And I don't know. I liked it. So I'm going to just copy it. And uh, yeah, like this was my draft class this year because I just traded basically my entire team for 22, 23, and 24 picks. And I actually didn't even make all my selections because I traded out multiple times to get more 2023 picks. But like... It was a total mishmash. I took London at the 1-2, which obviously is a guy that I very much like. And then uh, I was able to get Traylon Burks, the 1-7, who was a guy that I wasn't drafting a ton of, but I would draft 100% of the time at the 1-7 because that's smash. And then, like, yeah, it just kept progressing back. Um, Kenny Pickett was there at the 1-12. I was like, I don't like fucking Kenny Pickett, but I'll take Kenny Pickett at the 1-12. And then the guy at the 2-1 is like, oh, I wanted Kenny Pickett. Um, I'll give you uh, a 24-second um, for to swap the one slot and you give me Alberto Quaven on. I was like, that sounds great. Um, and so I, so I get a 24 second. And then I take Jahan Dotson there. Um, I ended up taking Christian Watson in this draft who like, I never take Christian Watson. I think I got him at like the two, three or two, four. Um, and then uh, I took Romeo dubs, of course, in the third round um, because he's the greatest player on earth. Uh, and then, you know, because I had no roster spots left because I had, I had like traded off all these veterans. Oh, I took Rashad White, of course, too. Um, like, I have just this horde of UDFAs. Like, I have Treston Ebner, Jalen Warren, um, Isaiah Likely, Chikosia McQuankwu, Pierre Strong, Greg Dolcich, everybody. The whole gang. Taekwon Thornton. Yeah, just the whole gang. And then we'll do the same thing in 2023. And then that's the fun thing, is you get to see which of these, like, especially in shallower leagues that people play in at home and stuff, like, you don't usually get the opportunity to add seven UDFAs to your roster after a draft, other than like your first year of a rebuild. But you do when you don't have any players, and it's great. Yep. Yeah, the, I guess the one other thing on, on rebuilding that I would say is be the first one to do it. Don't don't yeah. don't wait to the dread, t- trade deadline. There's a first mover advantage for sure. First mover advantage because once everybody trades the things that you want, the draft picks, there's none left to trade for. You need to be the right. first one to get all the draft picks. And, uh, and then on that topic, like sometimes you're going to take 
a little bit less of a deal than maybe market value just to get out of a veteran that could go to zero and into something more stable. Like uh, I have in, in one of my leagues, we trade, we, me and Ryan, my high stakes partner, we decided to tear down one of our teams and took and we basically like we had Joe Mixon and Alvin Kamara and Dalvin Cook. Like we we had a very strong team. Our team probably would have been a playoff team without question. And we just said, you know what? This team's gonna fall off the cliff in like a year or two. Let's just beat them to the punch. 2023 is a great year to rebuild in. Let's get rid of these guys right now. And we started trading off Mixon and Cook and, and so on and so forth. And we took a little bit less than what we normally would have wanted, like if we were not intending to punt. But uh, it was just a matter of, hey, you know what? If Dalvin Cook gets hurt right now, we may not get this in Mm -hmm. two months. Uh, If it was a younger player, like say, I don't know, somebody that's good and young, prime aged, uh, like say say it's like a Tyreek Hill who is not that young, but he's like prime aged or maybe, maybe he's a little old. Anyways, somebody who's like 26, 27 years old at a wide receiver. Debo Samuel, let's say. Yeah, Debo Samuel. Like he could get hurt and not really lose that much value. But a 27 year old running back like Dalvin Cook, if he gets hurt, it's, it's going to be scary on the value. That's game over. So we just, we took less than we, than we probably should have gotten, but we're in a really good spot now. So yeah. Anyways. All right. I think that'll do it. I think we nailed it. Great job. Yeah. Great job. Over Matt. Again. But there was, there was uh, a lot of more editing. I apologize to Matt. There'll be more editing, but I took notes on when the pauses were and when the yeah. mistakes were. So, so in, in the comments to the podcast, if you guys want, just go ahead and let Matt know if you would like longer or shorter podcasts. They're going to want shorter he can, podcasts. He can edit them to his, uh, to his desired length. <laughs> if you want them shorter, just listen to us on 2x speed. There you go. Listen it. Listen on 2x speed, and then Matt can just edit really long podcasts. It's going to be great. Really, really fast. 30 seconds last take. Is Romeo Dubs the prince who was promised? Are you ready to eat that L? I'm, e- I'm eating it up. I'm eating up the L as we speak. Yes. I'm yes. Just, it's like. Uh, we get to root for dubs together now. You're joining the wolf pack. Yeah. Like honestly buying dubs in the third or fourth round is like, whatever. Usually I'm drafting running backs there. I'm not really interested in day three or wide receivers, but. And then, and then on you know, training cap hype, he like rose to like second round value. And I was like, well, okay, well you got to sell now. And then now though, he's, pretty good and he's not really all that expensive he's like a high second round pick i'm like hey you know what if i was gonna bet on an outlier this is the kind of outlier i'd bet on one tied to like a hall of fame quarterback with nobody else on the team including alan lazard who's awful and it's like this is like he's it he's four games into his rookie season and he has two consecutive 20 plus percent target share games like this is what we're looking for when we're trying to get an early mover advantage on a on an outlier you sell on hype but when they're actually doing something feel free to buy in like he could like don't get me wrong he could still be travis fulgham that that's possible but it's a lot more likely that it isn't travis fulgham because travis fulgham was like in the middle of like his second or third year this is the beginning of his rookie year we have literally only have four games of romeo dubs thus far and he's been pretty damn good in those four games so yeah i'm in let's do it buy some dubs let's do it okay uh, last question would you officially rather have romeo dubs and christian watson and dynasty 
Okay, it's not fair because you already said the last question was the last question. Now you're double dipping on last question. It's the same. It's a little unfair. I I am probably I'm very equal on them at this point. I don't know that I would prefer Dubs over Watson. I think Watson kind of got the raw end of the stick through training camp, and and that may set him back forever. And and he never fires at all. Who knows? But uh, like Watson has one of those profiles that people are going to fall in love with if if he fires and he doesn't have to be good. He just has to fire for a short amount of time because he's tied to Aaron Rodgers for the long term. And yeah. he's like, what is he like? Six, four, six, five and runs like a four, four or something like that. Real big, real fast. Like, like he's exactly what people fall in love with when they probably shouldn't. He is six, four, 208 pounds. And he runs a four, three, six. I was way off on the speed. I said four, four. I apologize to the world that was understanding Christian Watson's physical gifts. I don't necessarily think he's good. I've never necessarily thought he was good. I think he's an okay prospect and he's tied to Aaron Rodgers and people are irrationally excited about these players tied to superstar quarterbacks. And therefore Christian Watson is still a very exciting player to me. If, if, like if people are selling low on Christian Watson, by the way, I'd be interested in buying if I can get him for like a, a mid to late second. Like if people are down on him because they're looking at Alan Lazard scoring like, I don't know. 30 yards a game and then i think he had like 100 this week though so that was good he had a lot this week good for him yeah good good for him way to bounce back after two atrocious games and then christian and then uh, romeo dubs is also like got a lot of hype going so I, I could see a little buy low window on christian watson and here's the thing it's not either or with dubs or watson it could be right both. and that's what's right. i think really exciting about buying into these rookie uh packers wide receivers that's what that's what i was so pumped about in my home league when i was able to draft both because i don't usually draft watson because he was going a little higher but when he fell past adp when i was able to get watson and i was able to get dubs i was like i mean you never know but i was like it feels really unlikely that neither of these guys is a gonna fire and b is never gonna look like they're firing enough to be a massive profit like it's just it's just unlikely, right? That's either that or Alan Lazard's the alpha, and that's that's not the case. So. That's definitely not what's going to happen. So we can rest assured that it's going to be one of Watson or Dubs and or both. And what's interesting right. about this, I just saw one, one last tangent, Matt. Calm down. One last tangent. I recently read an article today dating back to 2017 or 2016 about Tom Brady and his longevity in the NFL. Turns out that mm. Giselle is a witch who's been building altars for him on game day, been doing things with crystals on his body to ensure that he's ready for the game. And what I think is wonderful about that is that was like six, seven years ago. And now they are splitting. Tom Brady is falling apart. He's no longer available. But what's really exciting about that is that Aaron Rodgers also dates a witch. So like we have another six, seven, eight years of excellent Aaron Rodgers play ahead of us. Blue, blue is the that. sky or something what's her name blue is water blue blue something she blue actually water, had to go on social media and state i am not a witch that's how much of a witch she is it's great so christian <laughs> watson romeo dubs are going to be supported by witch power for the next several years can't wait love to see that all right that's a wrap uh,